Hey, and thanks for listening to the Designer Cast. I'm Mariam Habibullah, your host for this podcast where I chat to designers of all skill levels. Today, I'm chatting to Evelyn Fielding. She's a designer at one of Australia's best online fashion retailers, The Iconic. Why don't we just start with you telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name's Evelyn. I'm originally from Brisbane. I moved down to Sydney to pursue user experience design. So my background's kind of interesting. When I was back in Brisbane, what I studied at university was journalism and French because I really liked storytelling and things like that. And I very quickly realized journalism was just not for me. <laughs> like I, I did enjoy the writing and the storytelling, but the whole sort of career itself wasn't for me. So I happened to land into like a technical writing role at a software company. So it's interesting because I was doing a lot of the work that I'm doing now, which is working with developers, mapping out the flow of the software that I was documenting. We were in a documentation team, but obviously it was all happening after the software had been developed and there was no UX team, but there was about like a seven or eight person documentation team. So we would have to find a way to make it make sense for the users reading or watching, you know, the how-to videos that, oh no, this is a logical flow, even though it completely wasn't because the user wasn't present when the actual software was being developed. And I don't think a flow was really considered. It was just, let's have this button here. Let's go here. So there was no UX designers? No, No Uh, there was a, there was like a UX or UI designer, but more accurately, she was a front-end developer. So that that front-end developer was someone who actually exposed me to UX early on. I really enjoyed being a technical writer. I actually really enjoyed figuring out how to use it. Um, I had a fantastic boss who had a lot of empathy for the clients. And then I actually got to meet quite a few people who would be using the software. So, and it was just such a sort of like shot of empathy, <laughs> you know, like it was such an amazing sense of understanding. So that really made me passionate about the job because the developers just were really working in a completely separate space from the users that would be using the software. I ended up going off and interviewing some of these managers of plumbing businesses and electricians and things like that and just talking to them about their pain points and then so you didn't know what ux was at this point no but you were doing it i was doing it exactly i was just doing it after the fact but yes i ended up going to interview them and i made it into a podcast so that the developers could understand a little bit what was going on and that was really well received because there'd just been no presence of the user in the business didn't Um, the developers realize that they needed ux no, I would say like, we're also talking about like, it, it was a it was a pretty booming software company, but I would say like in Brisbane, the technology scene is still, it's 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 kind of going through a bit of a boom, but I, I would say like UX is still kind of on the rise there. Mm-hmm. And so for this development team, it was, it was really, they were working with a lot of legacy code as well. So it was just kind of like bringing in yet another sort of piece to the puzzle wasn't really a question. Mm. Yeah, so I was basically doing a lot of UX was just after the fact. And that front end developer slash UI designer really opened up that world to me. And then I happened to have a friend of a friend who was a UX designer and that opened it up. So I just sort of got more and more curious. Mm. Cool. So you kind of did UX without even knowing it. Yeah, exactly. I think that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. How did you actually formally get into UX then? I started speaking to this friend of a friend um, more because she was actually doing sort of more research side of things as well as design. And she was like a kind of an empowered like consultant. So she was bringing a legitimate UX presence to the businesses that she would consult for. She showed me a few examples of things she was looking at and she introduced me to um, General Assembly. So I had I had no exposure to sort of formal UX training anywhere else. So I started looking at General Assembly, looking at people's different portfolios and things like that. 
doing a lot of different research online. At the same time, I was visiting a lot of friends in Sydney and I realized that they had this 10-week immersive course in Sydney. So after, you know, about a year after I'd kind of learned about UX, that was when I finally sort of decided, okay, I'm going to move down and pursue this and do this crazy course and, you know, really like get into the UX scene in Sydney pretty much. So did you quit your job? in Brisbane to come down here for 10 weeks? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the initial thinking was I could, because I'd been working from home at the time for like 12 weeks, you know, I was trying to figure it out. And then I just realized, well, I'm not going to come back to this job. I want to like dive full, like headfirst into UX. So luckily, like I'd had a fair bit of savings saved up and it was pretty dramatic, actually. It was just kind of like, I know that this is something I have to do. So moved down to Sydney for 10 weeks and was sort of living out of a suitcase for those 10 weeks. And it was amazing. I had an amazing instructor. Her name's Susan Wolf and she's been in the game. Like she's from like San Francisco and she's been in the game for a really long time. And it was just such a fantastic experience because it really confirmed everything that I thought about UX. And, you know, I will say when it's a course, you know, you, you do get the best of it and you don't see the sort of more murky sides of it and you know you get the idea that everyone loves UX and everyone knows they need UX and that's absolutely not true (laughs) but it was a fantastic experience it was really cool. Would you encourage other people to do a course like this if they were interested in UX? I think they'd have to be more than interested in UX to do it. I absolutely would. The biggest thing that I've told other people who have reached out to me about doing General Assembly is just know that you'll you'll get out what you put in so as much as it's a great course it's like any education you know it's up to you to really take those skills that you're learning and really apply them. And you also need to really not be afraid to network. And and that's something that General Assembly really helped with as well. It's like, you know, I'd never touched LinkedIn before I started at General Assembly. And at the end of it, I was like this crazy, like, <laughs> you know, I'd add everyone I met and like I'd add a little note and ask for coffee like everyone asks for coffee. And then I have noticed that. Yeah. I get yeah. a lot of messages being like, hey, do you want to have coffee? Yeah. Which I do. I have met some people for coffee. Yeah. So, But they encourage you. Like, and it does. It, it makes sense, like, because that was also really fantastic is to talk to people who are actually practicing UX in Sydney because mm-hmm. that's where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the other thing is what's interesting is there's other places like Academy XI that actually educate you in waterfall and agile practices, mm-hmm. which we didn't really get that at General Assembly. A lot of it was sort of like the best, you know, of UX managed, like UX practices. And, and we did get a little bit educated on stakeholder management, which was really important, but... Yeah, I would say, you know, do a lot of research before you go into it and keep your eyes open as you're doing it as well and sort of stay critical as well. So what's something that you do now that wasn't taught to you when you were studying UX? I guess I guess I'm doing a lot of things that were kind of just said in the course but weren't actually taught to us. A lot of the stuff that I'm doing in my role that I haven't learned through UX actually isn't necessarily a UX skill, but it's been so important and that's mainly just been kind of communication and collaboration. I think that that's a huge one and and something and when I say like it's things that they say but they don't really teach you is they kind of say I'll collaborate with developers and I really took that to heart um, especially because I'd worked with developers so much in my previous role that I knew they need to be part of it. And I'd seen them respond to the user needs like through that podcast. So I just knew like I'd I'd seen other people have a bit of a dismissive attitude of like, oh, well, I'm doing the important work and they just make it happen. And it's like, well, exactly. They make it happen. So that's and and they're also just as creative, just as critical thinking. You know, I I had just noticed this sort of um, UX is the best and and that's the most important piece of the puzzle. And it's just not true because in my current role, I've really 
formed some great relationships with the people on my team like they've and they've taught me so much and they've been so open to teaching me and so open to asking UX questions as well and I think the other thing with communicating and communicating with stakeholders and I've had to do that like from a very early age like communicating with lots of different personalities because I have a massive family so you can't make a conversation about your own emotions about your own sort of opinion you've got to really look at the big picture play the game a little bit and Mm -hmm. see okay, what's this person's priorities and what, and why is that? So we'll have to say, yeah, that's not something that was sort of explicitly taught to me. That's something that I've managed to carry through in a lot of my career. I'm really glad that you brought that up because it's a really important piece of information. If you're a young or a new designer, don't underestimate the power of communication and collaboration between you and your developers and your stakeholders. So at The Iconic, we do a lot of co-designing with all these people and I think that's really why we create such successful products and we can iterate so quickly because of that. So how long have you actually been a UX designer? Um, I've been officially like working as a UX designer for a year now. Okay. Yeah, would you exactly a year. Would you consider yourself a junior or would you just consider yourself just a UX designer? That's difficult. It is difficult to say. I think I would say I'm still a junior because as much as I'm passionate about my own like practice and I'm and I am really passionate about collaborating, I still haven't found like either formalized or tried and true techniques. You know, I'm still really learning a lot in how to spread UX across the team. And I can't say, you know, I'm I've established like best practice in a lot of things. You know, I know that I have a gut instinct, I know that I can draw on stuff I've learned, but I, I wouldn't say I could sort of go through confidently without consulting anyone else. And I wouldn't really want to do that anyway. But mm. um yeah, I think I'd I'd say I'm a junior, but in the role though I'm not treated as a junior, which I actually really like. Yeah, that's yeah. really good. Mm. What areas of your job do you want to improve on? I guess, I guess just getting the actual UI instincts going would be fantastic. You know, I don't, I don't mind at, like at the moment, I actually don't mind have like not having too much of a UI base because then I can really just zero in on, okay, well, what does the user actually need to do on this page? And then I'll do a bunch of competitive analysis and I'll copy a lot. I'll, you know, riff on certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mind that, but I, at the same time, I think it'd be great to just be able to whip up a bunch of stuff more efficiently and more quickly mm-hmm. when you say whip up a bunch of stuff do you mean like actual ui actual ui yeah i guess exploring like how can the user actually interact with the product to sol- address this problem i'd love to sort of get a few different options ui wise a lot of the time i'll do all this work and kind of come to one thing and then i'll collaborate with someone and then we'll figure out a few different options mm-hmm. but i'd love to be able to skip to a few different options mm. first and you know even when i collaborate with someone they'll probably still give me things i don't know about but at least i feel like i'm covering a bit more terrain mm-hmm. it's something that i would really love to master is like data like analytics and things like that i'm finding that so fascinating just really learning the landscape that you're working in like just the whole problem and the problem sort of environment because at the moment you know i'll sort of take a stab and guess with things in google analytics i'll consult with like we're so lucky to have all these amazing data scientists but because they're so amazing they're completely like busy all the time Mm, yeah i found that yeah (laughs) and so i would love to just be able to rely a little bit on my own skill to sort of and i and i am doing Doing that more and more but I think um, I definitely want to upskill in terms of like interpreting data to then sort of see to then accurately identify okay this is an opportunity area mm-hmm. or this is a problem area why why is that and then go into like the qualitative sort of stuff. Massive shout out to all the data scientists out there you're doing some awesome stuff. So you mentioned that you moved cities to start a course that was 
completely different to what you'd been doing. How did your family and friends react to this? So I knew that I'd wanted to leave and live in Sydney for a really long time. It was mm-hmm. it was pretty funny, like both the idea of living in Sydney and pursuing UX was sort of happening in tandem. And then once I saw this course, it sort of crossed and like they were able to be um, this united goal. So the way I and because I knew I'd been I'd been curious about UX for a really long time, really long time. You know, my family were the people that I was a, a lot of the time coming home being like, oh, my God. And I just learned about this thing. And I just looked up this about, you know, UX. Like you get to talk to people. I think like interviewing people that for me was such a juicy thing. And I loved to because I, I loved that when I was doing journalism um, and I loved that in my technical writer role. You know, I got to consult with a lot of stakeholders and sometimes clients themselves. And I guess I guess I did kind of explain it to my family the way that I found out about it, which was I get to do everything that I'm currently doing as a technical writer to try and solve problems, whether it's, you know, making the documentation as easy to consume as possible for the user that's going to be reading it or watching it or clicking it if, if it's like an in-product tutorial. So I get to do all those activities, but I get to do it at the most productive time to do it, which is before any code's actually been written. That was like, I think I finally got to that conclusion, but a lot of the time it was just a lot of like random sort of jargon that I was throwing at them because I was so excited. And I loved talking about this with my family. Like I was so excited that I got to improve the process in my team. Mm and do that so basically it was great because I could just say it's basically just take doing that again and again and again um so they've got an understanding of what you do now now definitely I think at the start they still didn't understand like but what do you do like day to day (laughs) like I get the start and I get the end but the middle like all the and I think still they're a little bit like what you do you like first you're designing something then you're like telling me you're writing up this big doc or you know like and then you're talking to people every day like it's such a it is a it is hard to keep track of but I actually really like that it's so much variation yeah but yeah they definitely understand now and it's interesting like they're both doctors and this big thing that's coming through that was really pioneered by the Mayo Clinic is um patient-centered care Mm -hmm. and patient-centered practice Mm. and it's the exact same principles but Mm. it's just that in medicine, you know, it, it has been system first for a really long time and not user first. And so I'm lucky, like my both my parents actually very much practice a patient-centered kind of style of care. So mm. once it's applied to their own context of work, they were like, they they're so it. passionate yeah. and they're so excited that I get to do that sort of thing as well. Okay, cool. Yeah. So if, if you did come across someone who didn't understand UX, because I get this all the time, yeah. where someone's like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a UX designer. And they're like, oh, okay. And I'm like, do you know what that is? And they're yeah. like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> How do you explain to someone what UX design is like kind of quickly, like at a pub or something? Yeah. The quickest way I found is I do a lot of research designs and testing to make sure that this this website is as user friendly as possible mm-hmm. so that someone can do what they want to do as quickly and easily as possible, you know, without getting frustrated or confused. What if they go, but Evelyn, isn't that just marketing? Don't you just do focus groups? <laughs> I actually haven't had someone say that to me before, okay. I guess, because I, I think the way that I explain it, yeah, I, I do try and make it about like the frustration that someone would feel. I don't try and make it about how appealing the website could be. I did, I did kind of get more of those questions when I said, when I focused on design, it was very much like, oh, so you'd be like putting this button here and doing that. And so, and I didn't really you know, that, that isn't the thing that I really specialize in. So I sort of strayed away from that and made it more about solving the problem, mm. I think. So what are the biggest challenges that you face as a UX designer? The biggest challenges, the first challenge would definitely be time to actually incorporate the user. 
there's this idea that everyone can sort of work at the same time. I think, I, but I guess that actually comes back to understanding of UX. I think there are quite a few people who think they understand UX, but really what they're thinking about is UI. Can you quickly explain the difference just in case people don't know? Yeah. So obviously UI is user interface, which would be, yeah, churning out the design of what you, they would see on the screen. Whereas UX is the actual experience, the flow, the logic, everything behind that interaction so rather than just seeing a pretty screen, it's something that's actually going to achieve the goal that the user has in mind. And those, for me, those things can't really be separated. I think in a lot of businesses they are separated, but I can't imagine not being able to being able to design a you like an interface without knowing what the user wants to achieve and without having investigated all the possible sort of problem areas and pain points and goals behind that. So I think they're really related, and I don't think you can have one without the other. The thing that I've come to hate, especially after being in UX or having, you know, been learning about UX for almost two years now is the amount of assumptions that go into work about users' needs. It's almost, it's really reductive of the user and of the user's experience. Mm -hmm. People, because they've got their business hat on, they will sort of say, oh, well, yeah, they'll be fine with that. They'll be fine with that. And it's sort of like... It's just ridiculous because it's sort of almost forgetting that the person who's on the other side of the business is a human being just like you Mm. who is either as complex or, you know, will ignore something, go straight to, you know, then they're not going to be, they don't do not have the same priorities. And Mm. I think it still is astounding to me sometimes that people just think that a a business can function without bringing a user into it because Mm. they're the ones that are actually paying your bills and paying your salary. Mm. And so because there are those assumptions, then then the next assumption is that UX is quite simple or that it can be done without time to think critically and, you know, to really define the problem space. Mm. It goes just straight to, oh, well, we know the solution because they've assumed that this is what the user needs. And it's like the user's not even thinking about that. <laughs> they mm. just want, you know, they want their payment to go through, like, successfully and feel secure that their money's gone to the right place. Like, they want to go onto this fashion website and feel included and, like, they belong there. They don't care about, you know, oh, but there's this new, like, but you can follow brands. It's like, which, you know, I think that is valid, but it doesn't apply to absolutely every... I think something that I think particularly... I love... I absolutely love the iconic and something that I'd like to see more of is how can we cater for people who don't feel as comfortable in the fashion world and things like that because... Mm, mm if we're all about making fashion accessible, we should be thinking about people who don't feel like they be- or we, sh- we should have our complete focus on making people feel like they belong. Mm. That's exactly what UX is about. Like how do you design for this user to make them feel included and make them feel heard? How did you go from studying at General Assembly and getting a job at the Iconic? I, yeah, I had a pretty amazing journey with that. It actually happened because of General Assembly. So our final project, um, we got to work with. So the rest of them were concept projects, but the final project was a, a working with a real client. Mm-hmm. And so the biggest challenge there was sort of doing stakeholder management and things like that. So the client I was actually working for was Hatch, which is Adam Jacobs' new startup. Mm-hmm. Um, and he co-founded the Iconic. So I ended up forming a great relationship with his team during that time and he initially had wanted me to work at Hatch and I was so excited by that opportunity um I knew that the startup would was doing something really great but I also knew I really needed to be within like deep in like UX practice and they absolutely have a UX presence there but I knew I kind of wanted to really 
hone my like UX craft and not really and and not just learn how to make an awesome startup and how to really grow a startup. So I turned that offer down, but I kept that relationship going because he really had so many like insights and was sort of a bit of a mentor in that way. That so, would have been hard to turn that down because mm, you just graduated and someone's like, here's a really cool UX job. Yeah. How yeah. did you was that hard was that a hard decision it kind of it was sort of difficult to turn down but at the same time I hadn't permanently moved to Brisbane uh, to Sydney sorry yet from Brisbane so I knew I Sydney is a higher cost of living I knew I needed a more sort of stable job especially because it is a startup the nature of it is it's quite you know it's not touch and go that's not fair to the business but it's not as stable as you know, I would want it to be ideally. Right. So you were looking for stability. Definitely stability. And, and also to, yeah, really, to be fair, I need, I wanted to really concentrate on UX itself. So at the same, luckily at the same time, because I'd been, you know, I'd just finished the course, I'd been recommended to this agency um, by my instructor. So I spoke to them and they actually offered me a full-time position at the same time. Mm -hmm. It was a UX agency. They got to work with a lot of different clients and quite of quite like large sizes, mm-hmm. um, varying sizes. And I sort of knew, okay, I'm going to be really getting a, a lot of crash courses in actual UX practice there. Whereas if I worked at the startup, I'd be a part of an amazing startup, but I'd still kind of, I, I wouldn't be learning best practice for mm. UX mm-hmm. um, specifically. You know, I, that, I don't know if I could have been guaranteed that. Like I, I, I find that, I find it difficult to talk about that because they have a really fantastic UX presence. It's mm-hmm. just that it's it's one person and I didn't want to have to rely on one person to sort of get that education. So did you take the role at that agency? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so I took the job. Iconic was not your first UX job. No, no. Okay. And I learned a lot, but um, it was crazy. Like it is agency life. And can you explain agency life so that I'm, I'm hoping a lot more graduates will be listening to this. Yeah. So if they had the opportunity to take an agency job versus a like a client side job, mm-hmm. would you recommend client side stuff more or did you learn something from the agency that was worth going yeah I think it's interesting I will say agency side stakeholder management is about 50% of the job so which isn't exactly what I signed up for but I'm so glad that I did experience that I will also say depending on the agency you're at you're probably slave to the client which means work-life balance goes out the window a little bit you know your UX practice kind of reduces because you've got a client there who has, you know, has probably been running a business very successfully for a long time. Therefore, they're making decisions on behalf of the user that Mm. as a UX designer, you cannot justify. So you're working really hard. That's the whole stakeholder management coming through. You're working really hard to try and basically try and tell them that's not the right way to go without saying it that way. Yeah. So you're doing so much work just to justify (laughs) your own profession. I think it's, I think it just comes down to you have to be able to take them on the journey while still making them feel like they're in charge, which makes sense because they are the ones paying your bills. Mm. I guess they want to be heard. Mm. I think it. I think that's the thing that I really learned is make them feel heard, make that make everything they're saying feel validated because there's a reason they're saying it. There's probably a lot of experience behind what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there isn't, and sometimes it is just well, I I know everything, and mm. so you still just have to handle that. So yeah, I will say you know keep that in mind. I think a lot of the things that people say when you're working like client side or you know like in house is oh you know it's difficult to see your actual solution come to life. And what I love about the iconic is that's actually not true. You know, mm. you actually see the solutions that you're trying to implement to address problems come to life. Mm. You can see the data real time. You can test it in a really sort of safe way. Mm. And there's also 
you're allowed to fail. Whereas agency, I was a junior and I felt like if I fail, Mm. I've completely compromised this whole agency. Yeah. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up getting the job at The Iconic? The way that I was working at this agency just wasn't sustainable for me. So I'd started reaching out to a few different people I knew in the industry. I started applying for different jobs and I actually was getting interviews, which was such a different change from six months before. And I reached out to Adam, but I wasn't actually, I didn't actually reach out to him to expect to get a job at The Iconic. I think I was sort of thinking maybe like I can be a consultant at Hatch for a little bit while I, you know, find some other work because I still kind of want to get keep honing in like an actual UX practice Mm -hmm. but then he said something about he'd been speaking to someone from the iconic and and I just made some sort of joke like oh like don't be afraid to like mention my name like if you want to and he went oh did you want to work at the iconic and I was like yes who wouldn't want to (laughs) work at the iconic and I think I just never had made that known to him so then um so he just went oh give me your resume I'll pass it on Mm. and he did like that day Mm. like a day later I got a call from the people and culture team and then within a few days I was talking to our boss Abe on the phone but the was what's so funny is like because I'd I'd gone into this agency job being yes person I was like yep I can take that on I'm ready for any project you know Mm. I'm ready and then they took that and they ran a mile with it so I had I was completely depleted I felt like really taken advantage of Mm. in some cases Mm. so I was really scared to promise anything over the phone Mm. even though I wanted the job so badly I just my confidence was shattered and I didn't want to promise anything and Abe's asking me a lot of questions I'm asking him a lot of questions and He's sort of asking me, I can't remember what he was asking me, but I was just stuttering and, you know, not making a good case for myself. And he finally just went, um, look, do you want the job? And it was great because it just shattered. It just completely shook me. And I can just see him saying that. I know. I can picture him just like he's pacing around. Yeah. He's like on the phone. He's so agitated. And he just really, and it was fantastic because I was like, it really just set me back on course and was like, I absolutely want this job. So he called me back in um, to show him some of my past designs and I updated them. So I would recommend to any designers, update anything that you've done. If you haven't touched it for the last few months, go back to it again and explain to them that you've gone back to it again because then they can, first of all, see you're taking the initiative and, you know, you really care about what you're doing. And second of all, you know, you've probably learned a lot in that time, which I had. So I showed him that and he really liked my thinking and everything. And he said, okay, I'm going to into, I'm going to bring you in for a design challenge, but I'm going to really put you in front of the big dogs. So CTO, head of engineering, I think he'd initially invited head of product, another product manager, another UX designer. Like it was crazy. (laughs) But I just knew in that moment, okay, I need to, because he wanted me to communicate this the first time. So I just said, okay, I want to show you that I'm a good bet. So I'm going to come in here. And and I basically just told him like, I'm absolutely serious. I want this job. um, And this is amazing. And so I got the design challenge. I really had fun with it, which was actually so nice. It wasn't such a stressful situation. And it just more and more confirmed like, this is what I want to be doing. This is what I should be doing. Mm. And I went in and they really grilled me. And I was really happy about that because I just knew I was being given a shot. And then I found out like a week later that I got the job. So you you mentioned that you did a design challenge. Um, Is that something that you had to do for the agency as well? And is that something General Assembly prepares you for? Uh, General Assembly did prepare me a little bit for that. I didn't have to do it for the agency. Yeah, so I was pretty, I was actually really excited for that. And I, yeah, like I I was prepared for it somewhat for my course, but I just remember I had to keep telling myself, like, don't worry about like 
your UI skills. Like he knows, like he knows that you're probably, he's already seen, like Abe, sorry, has already seen some of your designs. Like, don't worry. So I just knew I have to be able to communicate this. And these, these designs need to communicate what I'm intending, but I also need to basically talk my ass off in this interview. And, Mm -hmm. and that really worked. So I I think I just had to keep telling myself, like, you'll be fine. Just communicate it as well as you can. Mm. And I just had to keep telling like the sort of self-doubt to shut up because I'd been given a shot. I knew that I'd be getting a 30% off discount. So I just had to make it count. <laughs> so. um, I think that's something that people underestimate when they go to UX like jobs and things like that. They forget that you have to sell your process and you have to sell your design mm. and you have to like really up your game in presentation skills. Mm. And people think that that's not what UX is. They think, oh, I just have to like talk to the client and then just produce this beautiful piece of work. But you really have to explain why you do things. Completely. So that's something I was never taught in the degree that I did. Mm -hmm. I never had, like, I did one or two presentations, but not constantly. I don't know if they did that in General Assembly. uh, One one huge thing I learned from General Assembly, and I'm so happy, it was from like this talk by Mike Montiero and it was all about selling your designs Mm. like you can't just be be a designer you do have to be a a salesperson yeah like you 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 know it's a business so you actually have to be part of making that business go and a huge thing that he said was guide the feedback loop so Mm. never go in there and say oh look at all this like look at this beautiful design I've done do you like it like Mm. never never ever do that Mm. show them that you've listened to them say Mm. their goals say their objectives show how your design aligns to that objectives and Mm. then keep it on the objective conversation so does this align with what you wanted in the first place yeah and I think that's and I'm and I'm so glad I saw that and then doing sort of agency work you know it's it's guiding the feedback loop but it's almost like I just felt like I was like I had to anticipate every single question that Mm. a client would ask so I just got really good at it was completely draining but it was so worth it every time for Mm. the success of the project Mm -hmm. and I sort of knew I need to go into this and be completely in control of Mm. like not everyone in the room but just of myself Mm. Abe also was fantastic he said to me like I want you to also show what you're like if you don't know something Mm. so don't be afraid to say i'm not sure but this is what i do to find out um that's what people um i also realized that when you go into an interview they're going to ask you questions that you don't know and they're looking to see what you would do if you don't know exactly um because you you aren't expected to know everything especially if you're just starting out you're not going to know everything yeah so it's super important that you can say i'm not too sure about that but i can find out and i would do this this and this to find out exactly so super important and it shows like your use of time because if you're just there making up an answer you're wasting everyone's time Mm. like when you're you're still going to do the same thing you're if you're sensible you're probably still going to go away look up an actual solution or see if the crap that you just spoke is it like if if there's any truth to it but it's just it's so much less of a waste of everyone's time to say hey look i'm not sure do you have an approach in mind Mm. otherwise yeah i do a b and c um people think that you look stupid if you say i don't know but what makes you look stupider is if you make up something on the spot and they can tell they see right through you. yeah so and you use like and it's like you've just read a thesaurus before you came into yeah. the room or you're using buzzwords. It's like that's such a red flag for me whenever I work with anyone else. It's yeah. like if I ask them a question and they talk for five minutes, they use a bunch of words that they would never use mm. in normal life. I'm like, OK, you probably know about 40 percent of what you've just said. Like then that's generous. Like, <laughs> What's your design process? Like how do you want to design things and what do you actually get to do? Because you were talking about time constraints before. Mm. I think because of the time constraints, like I actually do love 
constraints it just it sucks when you sort of show like because of these constraints I produced something that was like um, a five out of ten star experience and so so that I can produce a ten star experience this is what I need to do mm-hmm. but then you're still given the same constraints you know that's kind of annoying but what I actually do is I'll do a whole bunch of research like uh, whatever sort of problem or topic I've gi- I'm given I'll research the current environment. I'll research, you know, do a bunch of competitor analysis. Um, I'll speak to everyone in the business who can give me insight into that. And I'm really lucky. A lot of people really love to give their like opinion. They're really open to potential solutions that you're thinking about. And then the most important step for me is, as I've said before, is collaborating with the developers because they're the ones who can tell me up front this is what you can do. And they're also, you know, they're, they're not limiting at all. Like they will mm. say, oh, you know, we could go to that, but it's up to me to sort of get the user to state that as a need if I get the chance to include the user in the conversation. So do you get to include them as much as you'd like or not really? Not as much as I'd like because of time constraints. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say that I've ever been shut down for wanting to include the user. It's just that it's just not feasible time-wise. Mm-hmm. So then the solution is release it in a way that's not going to do harm to mm-hmm. the user's experience. Mm-hmm. So whether that's releasing to 2%, testing performance, mm-hmm. A-B testing certain things. You know, I, I think an interesting thing that I found around a lot of the businesses, like we don't need to test everything. Like there's some stuff that we can rely, rely on common sense for. I would like caveat that you know I think everything does I think at some everything is going to be tested because we'll see the performance of it if it works or not even if we think this is a solid approach Mm -hmm. so yeah I'm getting better at sort of justifying okay like it's it's not absolutely critical that I test this but I I am good at sort of arguing the case for no I absolutely have to include the user in this part Mm. of the process can you tell me a little bit about what you're working on at the iconic right now yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I can say like, yeah, I'll talk about like the areas that I work for. So I'm in an interesting squad. Um, so I'm in customer marketing tech, which means the u- the user is definitely the owner of the problems that I'm trying to address. But at the same time, I've got to include the marketing objectives in there. So a lot of my squad's role is ensuring that marketing can communicate to the user, be, you know, be visible to the user, basically trying to help them get their objectives objectives achieved Um, I'm really lucky a lot of the marketing stakeholders that we work with are really interested in you know personalization they're really interested in you know I think they really know that the user is the one with the final say in the end as well Mm -hmm. we don't really have anyone kind of going okay spray and pray like let's Mm. let's just do this everyone will love it Um, I think I'm really lucky to work with stakeholders who really care about what they do and think really critically Mm -hmm. so what what advice would you give graduate designers who are finishing their courses and are now looking for their next role I'd give like a two-pronged sort of advice which is definitely be the person to seize opportunities I loved something that Erica Berktold our CEO said which is you know her career can kind of be personified by Stephen Bradbury (laughs) like he was the person coming last all the skaters in front of him fell down and he swooped through and got the gold (laughs) and the way that she sort of explained that was I've always been the person to pick up opportunities when no one else was picking them up like I found that there were a few other graduates in my course who were sort of going oh no I don't I don't really want that because either you know the pay wasn't quite enough which is a very real consideration I have noticed quite a few people will sort of say it doesn't quite fit the picture that I'm imagining and to that I'd say you just never know what you can make of that opportunity 
and I think just never underestimate an opportunity that you're presented but at the same time be critical of that so nothing is you, you still have to be sensible it's like if that if that's not going to pay your bills well it's not worth being homeless like for mm, some mm. sort of job you know if you see that person if you have a bit of a red flag with that person when you're talking to them you need to think about that risk and see if you can actually manage that so for me you know in that agency work I had a few flat red flags in the beginning, but I kind of thought, okay, I can handle them. And then after six months, I couldn't handle it. But that was fine because I I was kind of aware of that in the beginning. Like I did kind of have my eyes open. So I would say, you know, be as open to opportunities and use your imagination when it comes to these opportunities as much as you can, Mm -hmm. but also have your eyes open as well. Okay. Yeah. So how how did you kind of create those opportunities? What did you do to... Because you did mention about um, Adam Jacobs and Hatch, but that he came into General Assembly and you're working with them. If you don't have that, I guess, opportunity to go to General Assembly and do that, mm-hmm. how would you reach out to these people? Like, mm-hmm. would you did you go to meetups? Like, what what other things? Did yeah, you do? I really got into the meetup sort of thing um, before I started at General Assembly and while I was there. And you just, it's amazing. Like a person I'd met in Brisbane mm-hmm. at a meetup, I was kind of semi working with her seven eight like eight months later so she started a company in brisbane that my agency then started using later down the line so Mm. i had a really good contact there Mm. so again i would say never underestimate who you're speaking to at these meetups Mm. and what you can learn from them i would put the focus on that because i think i i remember i'd go to meetups with people from my course and they would start to walk away if they thought the person couldn't give them any information on the things that oh, they were really? interested in. Yeah, it was really rude. <laughs> like, whereas I would keep talking to them and or I'd stay a bit later. Yeah. Just talk to anyone and everyone and have fun. Had fun with the conversation. Don't so don't try and like insert your sales pitch at the first opportunity. You know, mm. take what the person's talking about and see that as like a learning opportunity. I think you know the biggest advice that um, some great advice that I got from someone who I'd met at a meetup was just stay busy. You know, so if you're not like getting these opportunities that you want, you know, take something and do a concept project or just, you know, practice your UI design skills, like start recreating pages and things like that. Um, That's how I learned. Yeah. Like I went and looked at sites that I thought were like awesome. And when I was learning Sketch, because Sketch came out after I finished uni. Yeah. And then suddenly the whole industry was using it. Yeah. So I was using Photoshop before that and like Illustrator. Yeah. And so... I had to go head first into learning sketch on the job mm. and it was really difficult yeah. for me. So then I literally just had to practice after work. Yeah. And that's, that's how I learned. So yeah. that's some really good advice I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty much it. I want to thank you again for coming along and doing this podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me. And hopefully I will maybe do a follow up sometime in like a year or something and you can tell me what you've learned. Nice. Sounds great. So that concludes the first episode of the Designer Cast. I hope you liked it. Um, and if you did, consider subscribing to the podcast because I'll be interviewing a couple more designers as well. If you've got any questions, find me on LinkedIn, send me a message there. If you think you could be a guest, please let me know. I'd love to have you.